0: the border is just this deserted wasteland the only people who are going to be caught on camera are going to be you know uh, unauthorized migrants drug traffickers and human smugglers—that's all you're going to find at the border in the public imagination and the way that it's talked about in discourse. But our hopefully our map starts to like really provide the evidence to undermine that myth because once you start looking at these towers and you look at them in the the street view images, you look at where they're placed. A lot of these are in urban areas; they're in residential communities in the middle of public parks. Because you
1: you've always taken such charge. You are listening to the Border Chronicle. Hi, I'm Melissa Del Vasque with the Independent News Outlet, the Border Chronicle, and today I'm speaking with Dave Moss, Director of Investigations for the nonprofit Electronic Frontier Foundation. Um, a few months back, Todd and I met with you, Dave, and your team when you came through Tucson and you were working on this project to map surveillance towers along the US-Mexico border. And it's great to see the investigation published with the interactive map and and data set this week. Um, This is something that we live with every day at the border, these towers, aerostat balloons, license plate readers, among other things that are now part of the everyday landscape. And I know many residents wonder about all of this burgeoning technology and they're not really sure how it's used or whether the surveillance encroaches on their own privacy and daily activities. Um, So it's great to have you today here, Dave, to talk about the results of your new investigation and the map of surveillance towers that EFF has just published. Um, First of all, I wanted to ask you, why did you and EFF decide that now was the time to create this new map and data set of surveillance towers?
0: Well, you know, we've been working on issues related to border surveillance for quite some time. We had a huge trip planned to the border in 2020, uh, but as you know, something happened in 2020 that just required us to cancel the whole trip. And so we were able to start breaking these trips into three, well, this trip into three separate trips uh, starting with last year. Um, with a first trip in San Diego uh, County and Imperial County, California, as well as Baja, California. Now, when we were going out to California, we wanted to see some of these towers uh, in person. We wanted to, to get up close, get a look at them, see what they did, see how close they were to people's houses. But we didn't really know where they were. And so I called some reporters. I called some local people. Reporters told us, Oh, I just drove around till I found one. And then a few local people were like, Well, I know where one is over by, you know, the the outlet shops by the, you know, San Isidro Crossing. I can take you there if you want. And I was like, there's gotta be a better way. And so I started off found it finding a small amount of data about towers, uh, some GPS coordinates for some towers in San Diego County that appeared in some purchasing documents that CBP had posted online. And I think we had like six towers based on those GPS coordinates and it was hugely helpful and we realized that this would be an incredible resource this is could be a way for us to contribute to the overall discourse if we took it upon ourselves to build to build out this map um uh across the entire border um, and it took us about a year to get where we are now. Um, I'm a little reluctant to call it, you know, the conclude, you know, the conclusion of our research or the results of our research, because it is ongoing. And in fact, since we published, uh, on Monday, I've already added like five or 10 more towers that I've found. So it, it, it increasing continues to grow in, in size, not just because we're finding more, but because CBP border surveillance is also growing.
1: Right and and I mean when you came to Tucson it it was the same with us it was like well where are these towers and we're like well there's one there there's one here but but nobody really knew I guess to what extent like how many we have now along the border um and I mean can you talk about the history of of these towers when did the government start putting them in and I guess this is part of the virtual wall that we hear a lot about right
0: yeah you know it's funny because just this morning um a academic um emailed me and sent me a video um presentation from a um Uh, an author named C.J. Alvarez. And this author, C.J. Alvarez, has a book called Borderland, Border Water. And I guess in this book, he has some photos of a Border Patrol surveillance tower from the 1930s. And I was just fascinated looking at this. Obviously, there would have to be a human being in this tower. It couldn't be like an artificial intelligence-driven long-range camera and infrared system. But it was interesting that You know, dating back to a century ago, um, uh, surveillance towers on the border were a thing. But jumping to just sort of more recent history with um, the use of, you know, digital surveillance equipment, camera surveillance equipment on towers. um, You know, I tend to look back to the mid 2000s um, in the early 2000s. You know, CBP and and, uh, you know, I guess DHS didn't really start till around that period. Uh, We're trying out different different kinds of surveillance towers on the border, you know, some permanent, some uh, affixed to trucks or semi permanent, you know, like these towers that you could tow into a, a position and then just have them there for a little bit. Um, but it really came with the Secure Border Initiative uh, and these things called SBI Net Towers. And this was uh, you know, a program that Boeing and a company called Elbit uh got a contract from the Department of Homeland Security to start building these towers across the country, starting in Arizona. And it very quickly spun out of control with delays and cost increases until suddenly there was this drumbeat, this bipartisan drumbeat, that this was just a huge waste of money that uh, for CBP to put in these towers was just not going to deliver as promised and it would cost more than a billion dollars and it just wasn't worth it. So even though it had started under uh, the Bush administration and it continued through the Obama administration, it was actually uh, Obama's attorney, General uh, Janet Napolitano, sorry, not Attorney General, but uh, Homeland Security Secretary Janet Napolitano, who shut the program down in like 2010, 2011. Um, that did not deter CVP from considering continuing with this strategy of, of uh, towers. So after SBINet Net folded, they started pursuing other kinds of towers. So that's how we ended up with two specific tower systems: the integrated fixed towers, which you're only going to find in Arizona. Um, these are the towers that are you know built on some of the same locations as s b i net towers um some of them are new sites, but they're very rural, very tall um they could see up to seven point five miles um but really, they're only in Arizona. Then you have uh the remote video surveillance systems the r v s s s and these are these towers that look like a little pole. With a, a, a crown on top or a platform on top, it's either a triangle or a square, and then there are cameras on top of that. And you find those usually pretty close to the border, almost you know, often up like right along the fence or you know, within a mile of the fence. And those exist, you know, everywhere from San Diego to Brownsville, um, and that's the second program by a company called General Dynamics. And those continue to grow over the 2010s. And then uh, in the last couple of years, there's been a, a, a new strategy um, where they are using these things called relocatable towers. So they're like semi-permanent towers, but they sit in a truck bed, not a truck bed, in a trailer, like a trailer that you would attach to a truck. And so they could be moved if you wanted them to be moved. And they also usually have some sort of artificial intelligence technology attached to them. And so you see two kind of two or three varieties of those. Um, you see the relocatable RVSSs. Um, they're the same technology as those permanent RVSSs. But again, they're on like a truck bed. They kind of look like a bunny. I call it like bunny ears because it's got kind of like a little bunny head on the top with like little cameras. That pop off on either side of its head and you find those mostly in South Texas. I haven't seen them really anywhere outside of South Texas. Um, And then you have these andoral towers, um, also known as autonomous surveillance towers. These are the ones invented by uh, the creator of the Oculus uh, rift uh, palmer lucky that are these interconnected artificial intelligence driven surveillance towers that are much shorter than all the other ones um, and cbp has acquired i believe 200 of these towers uh, quite a few of them are in san diego county a lot of them are around laredo there's apparently uh, quite a few in the del rio area um, and we've also seen them going in uh, around el paso and big bent
1: Yeah, no, I'm glad that you listed them all out. I've also seen the ones with the National Guard where they are mounted on their truck.
0: Yeah, so so those are a different program altogether, but I can tell you exactly what those are. There's a lot of acronyms involved in this that you haven't told you know if you haven't uh, you know noticed already. I've said IFTs, I've said ASTs, I have said RVSSs, I've said RRVSSs. I'm going to give you a few more um, acronyms um, here because CVP loves its acronyms. Okay, so there's generally two kinds of trucks that have towers in the back. There might be others, but I classify them as two. So the most common one that you're probably seeing are called mobile surveillance. Capabilities capabilities or MSCs. And there's two variety of those that are these truck mounted uh, uh, towers. One is made by a company called FLIR that specializes in thermal imaging and infrared, and then another by a company called um, Telefonics, uh, which looks very similar, but it has different capabilities. Then there's something called a mobile vehicle surveillance system or an MVSS, um, which also are truck-based surveillance cameras um, that have this like scoping ability where these towers just go straight up into the air. Now, uh, we do know that uh the National Guard uh does help with these MVSSs, but a lot of what you're seeing are going to be those MSCs because that's the MVSSs came into effect in the mid teens but the MSCs have <laughs> really expanded in their use in the last few years.
1: And maybe this isn't really a fair question for you. It's really a question for um, for the government, for CBP, but why so many different kinds of systems and do they even communicate with each other? And what does this all look like, I guess, in the um, control room when they're looking at these visuals? I mean, how does it all fit
0: together. Oh, it is a mess. It is a... I mean, as far as I can tell, it is a mess. Um, These systems, some do, some don't communicate with each other. It's just a whole mess of a procurement process where things have been acquired from all these different vendors and sub vendors and distributed across various sectors across, you know, the nation that aren't necessarily communicating with each other and changes in administration over and over and over again. And it's just a mess. But to give you a specific sort of, if we can drill down on those surveillance towers. So you, so I mentioned we had those integrated fixed towers in Arizona and then the RVSSs elsewhere. Those were the two main kinds of towers. And sure enough, you know, uh, you know, two or so years ago, CBP was like, yeah, this is a problem that they don't interact with each other. So we're going to issue a whole new RFP, a whole new like call for proposals and, you know, pit, you know, bids and things like that to create a singular program known as the integrated surveillance tower program. And we're going to have all of these towers come under one specific program Then hopefully we can get them all networked together um, so that they all interact with each other. We can have them in com- in control rooms. We'll see what happens with that. But historically, what's has been the case is that scattered throughout the Southwest, there are these control rooms uh called C2s, command and control centers or command centers. It depends on, on who you ask what C2 stands for, but they call them C2s. And they're often in like a trailer truck, like a or a, a portable, you know, like you would have at your high school. I don't know if your high school had portable classrooms, but mine did. Uh I'm in Phoenix, so uh, I think your Tucson folks probably definitely had those kinds of uh, those portable classrooms. Uh, but it's just like a bank of monitors on the wall and you know, CBAP officers and other officials sitting at desks watching these screens and controlling cameras with their joysticks and that sort of thing. But that's just that's just the towers. Like if you want to talk about the blimps, like the aerostats, they've got a whole contractor that they, they, they farm that out to called Paraton that deals with those things things. Um, So, you know, like we're not just talking like, you know, different facilities that are getting different feeds and different camera systems that operate differently. We actually have like different contractors and different government agencies. It's just like this totally uncoordinated mess across across the Southwest.
1: Right. And we're talking multiple billions of dollars on these uh, overall. Right. And one one thing I've seen over the years, too, is typically people within customs and border protection within the agency who work on these programs, then retire and end up running a business that ends up selling this technology back to the agency. Uh, so it's this kind of revolving door of uh, business happening.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I've been working on surveillance technology, both in a law enforcement context and a border context for like a decade now, and I've really become convinced that this is all about business. It's not about border security at all. This is just business. It's not about public safety at all. It's about business. We have, you know, these companies that sell this technology are tech companies. They're not really any different than your Meta or your Google or your Apple. They are following the same playbook as your uber and your airbnb where they are just going to try to like disrupt the system you know create markets for technology that nobody really needed um you know rush to sell things on the cheap so they can get enough of a market share that they can sell themselves to another company uh and then all of these decisions about surveillance technology are often made in like at conferences or expos or at backroom meetings between vendors and officials, where there aren't policymakers involved, that there aren't members of the public involved, there aren't stakeholders involved, it's just a you know these backroom conversations beco- between vendors and law enforcement to sell this technology, and that's how we end up with it. Um, one of the sad things is is that there used to be this environmental assessment process. Um, where that was one of the few places you would get public engagement. So whenever they wanted to put an IFT in the desert in Arizona, they would have to talk to environmental groups. They would have to talk to local you know, public lands officials. They would have to talk to local tribal communities. There would be like public hearings where people could come in and, and submit comment. And now, with a lot of these relocatable towers, um, which are going to be permanently installed in places, but technically could be moved around, we haven't seen CBP going through the environmental assessment process like it used to. Um, and I'm not sure why that is. I think that's something that really needs to be investigated, perhaps by an environmental organization to figure out what changed. But we are definitely seeing less engagement uh in that respect
1: huh yeah that is really interesting and they're becoming more and more ubiquitous in in the landscape have there been any studies or reports on the impact that these surveillance uh towers and technology have on the communities around them
0: not that I know of there, there, there may be some out there, but none come to mind. Um, I just, you know, th- like I said, immerse, sorry, not like I said, but like this, you know, project is designed to assist with like, there hasn't been this data that has really allowed for that kind of analysis um, on how these technologies are impacting, um, you know, border communities. And I, I guess that's something I'd like to, you know, point out and make clear that, you know, in, you know, the public zeitgeist, in the public imagination. Uh, The border is just this deserted wasteland. The only people who are going to be caught on camera are going to be, you know, um, unauthorized migrants, drug traffickers, and human smugglers. That's all you're going to find at the border in the public imagination, the way that it's talked about in discourse. But hopefully our back starts to, like, Really, provide the evidence to undermine that myth because once you start looking at these towers and you look at them in the the street view images, you look at where they're placed. A lot of these are in urban areas; they're in residential communities. We've got ta- you know cameras, these towers that are like in the middle of public parks, um, and it really it, you know sort of shows you that there are communities who are having to live with this technology uh, affecting their daily lives. Now. You know, maybe it turns out that 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 this has become so damaging over time that communities don't even like register the surveillance anymore. They're just like, this is what life is. Our life is is uh, one under constant scrutiny by CBP. Um, But that would be, you know, if that was the finding, that would be fascinating to me and also a bit disturbing.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned, I think, with one of the towers that it could see seven miles like what type of. Uh, depths do they have visually and also can they record sound or do they track sound as well
0: so the specs for the rvsss and the ifts uh, are 7.5 miles so they are supposed to be able to help at uh, uh, a Border patrol agent be able to identify objects and people and track them seven point five miles out. The smaller Andoral towers are more like one to two and a half miles. Uh, so there, that's why you will see a lot more of them closer to each other because they can't really go that distance. But there are a lot of other factors involved as well. Like it really depends on like you know a a tower placed on a mountain is going to be able to see farther than a tower placed in an in urban environment where it's going to hit buildings pretty quickly and not be able to see beyond them. but you know if you think about it though you know you put a tower and it, maybe it's out and seems like it's out in the middle of nowhere but 7.5 miles will get you to people's homes pretty quickly we don't know if they record audio i don't think they record audio i haven't seen any documentation indicating they could record audio okay and so then this is
1: like a live feed of uh, a live feed that's going into these control rooms where there are these analysts, I guess, who are are looking at it. Right. Um, have you been inside one of these control rooms and seen what the feeds look like?
0: So I have not. I've seen video footage. I've seen photos of it, uh, but I have not gone in myself. Um at least it, it, on the U.S. side. I've gone to similar facilities inside similar facilities in Mexico uh, that the Mexican government run, but not on the U.S. side. But that's another sort of myth that I would like to like address as well. Yes, CBP officers have these screens and these computers that they can use to look through the videos. But in 2023, surveillance cameras aren't just like watched by people. They are watched by algorithms, where algorithms are – indexing everything that it sees in the frame it will index when it sees a person or a bicycle or a car or a plane or a dog like that is how surveillance cameras work in our country now that like you know there's this you know, because of tv and film there's this this you know in your imagination you think of it you see a surveillance camera and you think well you know maybe it's recording to a vhs tape Uh, and getting put into a closet until they tape over it or maybe there's some like you know a uh, security guard with his feet up on the desk and his hat pulled over his eyes fallen asleep with like a half eaten sub on his chest and like you're only going to get like noticed on video if he happens to wake up that's not how it works like it's algorithms now it's algorithms scanning all of the video so if they need to go back and say like hey we want to track a person they'll be like well show us on the video where there's a person and it'll be like here at this second at this second and this second and this second there's a person on camera Uh, so there's a lot more to it now Um, you know there might even be something where um, you know somebody's looking at a bunch of cameras and they can't watch them all at once and so the algorithm is telling them when there's movement on one of the cameras and bringing those cameras to the forefront Um, it's just things are different now
1: yeah I mean I'm trying okay I totally have the old school visual like with the half eaten sandwich yes (laughs) the security (laughs) guard So algo, okay. So algorithms are picking it up. So what does that look like? Is the out are they are they spitting out like text reports, or you just go in and go up to the screens and it, like show me a person, and then it it puts that to the forefront, or what is what does that look like? So
0: that, that is a big mystery. Like I don't, I don't, they don't let me sit down and play with their computers. So we have to go off of the the materials that are put out in like promotional videos and promotional documents. And you have to take those with a grain of salt as well, because, or because you're not really sure when you're watching a promotional video, what is fictionalized and what is real, you know, Um, just like any product, you know, you see on TV, like, you know toothpaste will show that like if you brush for like 30 seconds you've got like a brilliant white smile that like literally twinkles um and it's like that with this surveillance technology where they'll show like oh you know these like boxes going over people's faces and tr- you know training object you know tracking objects across camera to camera to camera and you just don't know what's fiction and what's not um uh i don't think it's necessarily text based there might be that sort of function but i think it's more like um if you, did, if you were to, like, see an object, you can choose it, and then it'll show you back over video in the past. Um, or if you have, like, um, like imagine, like, you're editing video. Like, you'd have, you know, when you're editing video, you have, uh, you know, like, the main screen with video, and then you see the timeline of the video underneath. What you might see is, like, a video with a timeline underneath, and then on the various parts of the timeline marked in a color or a symbol when a person is on camera in those in those frames. This is based on a little bit I've seen from other systems, I, not specifically the CBP systems.
1: Right. And, and I guess because this program is so opaque and, and sort of secretive, how do we know that it actually works? Well,
0: there's there's kind of two questions there, right, that you're asking. And the first is, like, what is the problem? that they're trying to solve and that's a really like a political problem you know is the problem uh you know drugs getting across the border is the problem guns getting across the border is the problem migrants coming across the border like it really depends and that's one of the problems with border security policy is that it's always a moving target it's whatever politics you know decides to make a you know um a lot of noise about it any given moment and so they have this system they're trying to build to address problems that are not very well identified and may change in the course of, of uh, establishing a surveillance program. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing is whether it's solving those problems, right? That's the second question. So what we have seen over time is plenty of of government accountability and inspector general reports that come out that Pretty regularly find that either the technology is not delivering on as promised, or CBP is not doing a good enough job documenting the impact of the technology for anybody to make a reasonable conclusion about the efficacy of the program. Um, You know, in a in a more one way, I like to look at it is that. I, you know, they've been putting up these surveillance towers for these these. Not counting the ones in the 1930s, let's say like the, the current sort of strategy of surveillance towers has been going on for like 20 plus years. And I don't feel like I've heard CBP or politicians saying year after year, like, "Well, wow, these towers are really working." It's, you know, the problems are getting better. We're having less migrants. We're having less drugs coming into the United States. Like, you don't hear anybody saying that things are getting better as they put up more and more surveillance technology. In fact, you just hear the rhetoric talking about crisis after crisis after crisis after crisis. And I'm like, okay, so like they keep asking for this stuff, but what is the actual delivery? Because it just seems like they just keep saying the problem's getting worse all the time. Um, so I'm really skeptical. And the other thing is that I'm skeptical with surveillance technology is that like, like at least right now like over the last few years a lot of the trends that you know we hear about in the news and that are being talked about is not like issues with people coming across in rural areas but people coming across in very already well enforced surveilled areas you know people talk about the caravans a lot or the camps that are that are building up at border crossings you know, there's no shortage of surveillance cameras at the El Paso border crossings. And yet people, that is where people are rushing the, the bridge. There's no issues with, I mean, there's no shortage of surveillance in, at San Isidro and San Diego, but that's where one of the caravans was headed. So it's like. What is the problem here? What are they trying to address? Like a bunch of these towers are going up in San Diego these days. I can't remember a news cycle in the last decade about there being a huge problem with people crossing uh, you know, you know, in San Diego County. Like it probably happens. Has it been a big deal that people have talked about? Not that I know of. Uh, and yet they are putting up a load of these towers in San Diego County.
1: Right. And um one thing that I had read is that they can affect migration patterns and actually cause more deaths in the desert. Um, can you talk a little bit about that?
0: So it's not my specialty. One of the things that we you know, identified as as a use case for this data is the research by Sam Chambers at University of Arizona, who is trying to figure out exactly that you know, whether these surveillance towers are pushing migrants to cross at more dangerous and more and more dangerous points in the desert. And uh, I, I think his preliminary research is very interesting, and it seems like it does indicate that. I'll be interested to see what he finds out now that he has a lot more data. Um, but it's also a very Arizona, like a very arizona e. Is that actually? I say Arizona. In Arizona. It's a very Arizona um, uh, way of looking at it, right? Because the border in Arizona is a lot different than the border in, say, Laredo, right? Like, there's no, you know, in South Texas when you're looking at the the border. I mean, a lot of those places on the border, it's like I don't know. I was looking at the outlet malls in Laredo, and there's like an outlet mall. And then the very small stretch of uh, the Rio Grande. And then there's a path leading down to the Rio Grande on the other side that leads to some houses in Mexico. And you're just like, hey, surely people are just crossing to go to the outlet mall and then go home because it looks so easy to cross there. Whereas, like, it's not anywhere anywhere close to as easy to cross in arizona and that's why you have these special towers in arizona that you don't have uh, elsewhere so i'd be interested to see what he comes up with i'm not sure how replicable it's going to be in other areas where the conditions are so very different um but i do think that um that you know, CBP is placing these towers all over the place, and I don't think they know what the, the impact is going to be. Is it going to push people in different directions? Or are people just going to ignore the towers? Like, I just don't know.
1: Yeah, and anything surprise you uh, from from your investigation that, that caught you by surprise?
0: Um, It was always surprising to me when I saw a tower, like, blatantly... In a residential or public space. So, you know, there's a a public park in Laredo where there's a soccer field. And on one side of the soccer field is an Andoral surveillance tower, one of the autonomous surveillance towers. And on the other side of the park, there's an Andoral surveillance tower. And it just struck me that there are, you know, kids playing, doing soccer, like who are literally playing in the middle of the militarized border zone oh, wow. uh, because they put in these, like these towers that are also being sold in, you know, war zones abroad. Yeah. There's a surveillance tower um, within view of the dog beach in Del Mar, California. And <laughs> that was a bit surprising to see one in, in Del Mar. Um and then in cochise county arizona so at the cochise county community college there is a surveillance tower on campus and that one is supposedly the first of its kind a 80 foot uh, relocatable tower from uh the some same ones who make the ifts in arizona uh, also has artificial intelligence involved but yeah when it was when it, the agreement between you know if you look at the meeting minutes between cbp and cochise county you see they describe this as the first of its kind being deployed and it was really surprising to me that they have chosen a community college as its experimental testing zone for a new surveillance technology like this is where students uh, study. You know, like this is where, you know, uh, I mean, it's not like, a, you know, a UC Berkeley-like campus or anything. It's not very large. And granted, a lot of the students there are going into, you know, border security careers. But it is just interesting to me that something that, you know, a piece of land that should be devoted to intellectual pursuits has also become home of a brand new surveillance tower.
1: Yeah. And, It's uh, wild just how prevalent they are now. And I feel like there's just so little input from communities about, you know, the impact that these surveillance towers have on border residents. Um, What are the government's plans for the future? Are we going to get more towers coming
0: Yes. So uh we had already known that CBP was pushing for a massive expansion of the surveillance tower program. They had issued some procurement documents that show they were going to be upgrading several hundred and then adding several hundred more. And they've also, you know, there's just a whole slew of, of new surveillance towers that they were going to be putting in. But, you know, their new budget came out, and there's some surprising things in how they're changing their strategy in favor of more towers. So One thing in particular are the aerostats um, and what is happening with the aerostats. Now for your listeners, the aerostats are these, they're called tactical aerostats and they are surveillance blips that have cameras on them. Um, And if you lived in Nogales last summer, you woke up one day and there was one over your city and it was there for like six months or so. And then it suddenly disappeared again. Now at the time last summer, CBP put out a press release saying, yeah, we're going to be putting up 17 of these around the country. Previously, there'd been like six of them. And then suddenly they were going to be installing 17 of these by the end of the fiscal year. Then about a month ago, it leaked to Fox News that they were going to be ending the Aerostat program. And sure enough, in the budget that came out a few days ago, um, CVP said that it was going to end the tactical Aerostat program, uh, decommission all of the balloons, and instead just install more surveillance towers where those balloons would have been. So we do know that CBP is looking to push more and more of these surveillance towers. Um, that's not the only technology they're pursuing. There know, lots more of these surveillance trucks. Um, we're also seeing not just CBP, but state-level law enforcement doing their own border security surveillance. Um, So there's a lot going on, and that's why it's kind of an ongoing project for us to track.
1: Yeah. Well, I want to thank you, Dave, for taking the time to speak with us today about this new investigation, and we will link to the EFF's um, data set and its interactive map, and and you all should check it out. Uh, There's uh surveillance towers up and down up and down the border how many did you count in the map
0: well when we launched 295 but as of today which is uh March 22nd uh we are at 305 and wow. that's still but that's a large number but that's still I want to say I'm hoping we have more than half of what's out there now but you know there's still a lot more for us to find
1: yeah well well thank you so much Uh, Dave, and I look forward to uh, more work from you guys as you keep updating the, the interactive map. It's super helpful for border communities, especially. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you. This is the Border Chronicle, reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This interview was edited by me, Hannah Gaber. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a follow, drop a review, and recommend the show to a friend. It really is the best way to help people find us. You can read and listen to more local border reporting and support Todd and Melissa's independent journalism on our website, theborderchronicle.com.